Welcome to the Convergence Podcast. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sinas. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation, and I have no idea where we're going to land the plane. But I really feel like we want to, let's dive into that, all right? You guys good? All right. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to do it in chronological order. In other words, we're going to do it as the events unfolded. And so we understand in the Old Testament that there was a promise that was made that there was going to be one that was actually going to crush the head of the devil. And even though Adam and Eve sinned and they were banished from the garden and they were orphaned, God didn't leave them without hope. So the father doesn't leave him without hope, and he says there's going to be one coming. And as you study the Old Testament, you know, some of the things that were, that were taking place in the Old Testament were gruesome, they were bloody, there was battles, there was murder, there was wars, all kinds of things in the Old Testament. And one of the reasons why we see that in the Old Testament is because of this prophecy that the father makes to the enemy, and that is, I'm going to crush your head. That there's going to be some, some, there's going to be a seed that's going to be born that's actually going to take you out. So one of the things that we see in the Old Testament is this conflict, this battle of trying to, to take out the seed before it comes, or take out the seed while it's here. That's why children are killed. That's why we see a lot of things that are actually taking place in the Old Testament, leading all the way up to when Jesus was actually born. So so one of the things that we see in the Old Testament is a spiritual conflict, a a warfare that takes place. God's people, God always always has a people. There's the law, there's all kinds of things, there's the prophets, all that's happening leading up to this moment. And so the people, uh, God's people understood the prophecy and and there was this anticipation of the seed being actually born and come into the world. And as, if, you, if you study the Bible, understand the Bible a little bit, you understand that they were looking for a, they were not looking so much for a religious leader. They were looking for a leader that would actually overthrow the government. And that leader would go ahead and, and have preeminence, set his throne up and rule and reign on earth. So much so that we see in the book of Acts where after Jesus has spent three years, after Jesus has taught them, after Jesus has tried to explain to them all these things, they still didn't understand that Jesus was setting up a spiritual government, not a physical government. So they said, now, now that you're, that you're resurrected, now is that the time when you're going to actually establish your kingdom on the earth? And Jesus doesn't really answer that question. He just says, uh, he says a few words, and then he says, I want you to wait, and I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you in power. And so we see this transition in in the New Testament from Jesus' resurrection to the birth of the ecclesia of the church taking place. So you have this you have this scenario from Genesis, and we see kind of like the end result, which is very allegorical, we see in the book of Revelation. But Hannah was right when she, when she read out of the book of Isaiah that on his shoulders, he's bringing a government. 
And so it is a government. It's called the kingdom of God. Jesus brought it as a child. Jesus brought it as a baby. You didn't, no one really saw it, but there was a government on his shoulders. It's the kingdom. And he expresses the kingdom in signs and wonders and miracles and healing, all kinds of things. He teaches the kingdom. That's his number one topic is the kingdom of God. He's trying to relay that information to us because he actually is a king. He has established his throne in the heavens and he will come back. So Christmas is all about this king coming. Christmas is more than just a nativity scene that we buy at Target. Christmas is more than just a scene on a front lawn of a house. It's far deeper than that. It has far more ramifications than that. So let's take a look at this. Luke chapter 1. I'll be reading this year out of the Passion Translation. TPT, if you have your phones, go to it. If you have a different translation, God bless you, go for it. During the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God, from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary. Living in Nazareth, a village in Galilee, she was engaged, really the word is betrothed, everyone just say it just, for, just to help me out here, betrothed to a man named Joseph, a true descendant of David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, grace to you, young woman, for the Lord is with you, and so you are anointed with great favor. Let's just stop for a moment because I love context. I love setting this scene because it makes it real to me. Mary was probably 14 or 15 years old. So when you, when you study the Christmas story or you think about the Christmas story, this is about two teenagers giving birth to a, the Messiah. I mean, obviously Mary's the one, but I'm talking about Joseph and Mary as a team giving birth to the Messiah. Young girls were, marriages were arranged then by the families, and then they were actually, moved, they moved from that arrangement when they were young to this place of betrothal, anyway, yeah, whatever that is, and then, and then marriage. Now, the, the whole, is that, am I saying it right? Betroth anyway, that word spanned about a year, and it wasn't um, how we look at engagement today. So in an engagement, you could actually, you can actually um, very informally uh, leave the engagement. God forbid, right? But you, but you can. In a, with a person who is betrothed, I don't want to say betrothal because that doesn't sound like a word. When you're betrothed, it's actually a legal arrangement. So much so that when you're betrothed, that in order to get out of being betrothed, you actually have to get a divorce before you're married. And so 
when it says that Mary was betrothed to Joseph and vice versa, it was a legal thing. It was a binding thing. And it was something that that was very difficult to get out of. And there were actually two ways of doing it, a very formal way and an informal way. The informal way would be with two witnesses. They would actually have to settle out and they would have to sign off that this thing is over. So I want you to understand you got a a 14, 15-year-old girl. People argue 12 to 16. I'll I'll stay at like 14. You got a 14-year-old. Let's just say Joseph's older. Let's say Joseph's 16. You got a, I mean, 14 and 16 are babies to me. The older you get, the younger these, anyway. So, I mean, 22-year-old people are, I mean, they're, they're just younger. They're just, when I'm 30, that's, but when I'm older, they're, they're just older. So, so you, you got to, I want you to picture this, the, this 14-year-old girl, 14, and this 16-year-old man, if you want to put them at 15, 16 and 18, you can, but right around there, she, as, at the age of 14, she's encountered, age of 14, encountered by Gabriel. Now, Gabriel is not some kind of lightweight angel. If you can understand rank in the kingdom, rank in the, in the angelic host, Gabriel's right up there with Michael. He's the messenger angel. So there she is, 14 years old. I'm betrothed to this man named Joseph. Our marriage is arranged. I'm in a legal um, contract with Joseph, and I have this encounter with an angel named Gabriel. That's the scene. From out of nowhere. I suddenly, right? So Gabriel appears to her, and he says, Grace to you, young woman, for the Lord is with you, and so you are anointed with great favor. 14 years old. Mary was deeply troubled over the words, verse 29, and the angel uh, of the angel, and bewildered over what this may mean for her. But the angel reassured her, saying, Do not yield to your fear. Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. You will become pregnant with a baby boy and you are to name him Jesus. In Hebrew, it's Joshua. And he will be supreme and will be known as the son of the highest. And the Lord God will enthrone him as a king on his ancestors, ancestor David's throne, and he will reign as king over Israel forever. And his reign will have no limit. You're 14 years old, an angel shows up and tells you you're going to get pregnant. And you're betrothed. And Mary said, which is probably what everybody in this room would say, but how could this happen? I'm still a virgin. And Gabriel answered, the Holy Spirit or the spirit of holiness will fall upon you and almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you 
in a cloud of glory. This is why the child born to you will be holy and he will be called the son of God. What's more, your aged aunt Elizabeth has become pregnant with a son. The barren one is now in her sixth month. Not one promise from God is empty or of power, for nothing is impossible with God. Here's, here's the answer to her question. Her question is very practical. But how can this happen? I am still a virgin. And here's the explanation. The power of God is going to overshadow you. That's the answer. The answer to her question is God will spread his, sh his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. To me, that doesn't satisfy the question. I'm still wondering, wait a minute, I'm 14 years old. I, I understand what marriage is going to be like. I, I understand the birds in the, you know, I understand this. You're telling me I'm going to be impregnated, I'm going to be pregnant, and I'm asking you, that. I'm telling you I'm a virgin, how can I do it? And your answer is the power of the Lord is going to come over you, overshadow you. That's it. That's it. How is Joseph ever going to believe that? 14. She's not, you know, 45. She's not 38. She's not 28. 14. And so he says to her, this is why the child born to you will be holy. And he will be called the son of God. What's more, your age, Dan, and he talks about Elizabeth. And we know who Elizabeth was carrying. John the Baptist. So Elizabeth is old. I hate to say that. I'll just say older. She was past the age of having children. You have Mary, who's 14. So God chooses two miracles. One, being impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And another, to a woman who was barren. To a woman who had passed her age of having children. Then Mary responded, verse 38, saying, this is amazing. I will be a mother for the, Lord, at, for the Lord as his servant. I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. And the angel left her. I, I, I like the NIV's version because I think, I don't know if Mary said, this is amazing. You know, like I, the, the NIV says, I am, her response is this. I am the Lord's servant. This thing just makes zero sense. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Sometimes when we can't figure it out, we just got to trust. Sometimes when God brings us something that are, it's absolutely out of our box, I love her response. I'm the Lord's servant, and the word that you just gave me 
will be fulfilled. I believe it. I love that. How old is she? Man, 14 years old, I wasn't even saved. There she is. So afterward, verse 39, Mary arose and hurried off to the hill country of Judea. Oh, what about Joseph? Don't you think he should have known? I mean, the text is quiet, right? So she arises and she takes off to the hill country of Judea to the village where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. Elizabeth is carrying John. (laughs) Arriving at their home, Mary entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. So Mary gets the news that she's she's impregnated by the Holy Spirit. She accepts it for whatever it is. Maybe she heard word that her aunt, or it's a family connection, she's pregnant, so Mary goes ahead and takes off for three months. Betrothed takes off for three months. I don't know how the arrangements worked. I don't know if Joseph was in communication. There's no way she can pick up her iPhone and text him. There's, there's no way she can shoot him an email. She takes off. She, I'm sure she had permission from her parents. She goes ahead, 14, takes off, and goes and sees Elizabeth, who is, let's just say, in her 60s. She, it's an, I think it's 90 miles. I, think, I mean, it's a long, it's not... Maybe it's closer. I can't quite remember, but it's a, it's a bit of a journey. She takes off. She sees Elizabeth arriving at their home. Mary enters the house, and she greets Elizabeth. And at the moment she heard Mary's voice, that is Elizabeth, the baby within Elizabeth's womb jumped and kicked. That's John the Baptist. And suddenly, suddenly, Elizabeth was filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, And with a loud voice, she prophesied with power. Mary, you are a woman given the highest favor and privilege above all others. For your child is destined to bring God great delight. Now, I don't know if Mary even told Elizabeth. Because it said she prophesied. We might have assumed that Mary said something to Elizabeth, but it's not in the scriptures. She goes ahead, she prophesies. She says she's highest favored, she's privileged above all others, for your child is destined to bring God great delight. How did I deserve such a remarkable honor to have the mother of my Lord come and visit me? 1460. One generation exhorting another. And then she says in verse 44, the moment you came in the door, the moment you came in the door and greeted me, my baby danced inside of me with this ecstatic joy. The first person to recognize Jesus was an unborn child. 
The first person to recognize Jesus was an unborn child. Mary wasn't showing then, but there was something in the spirit that was taking place with Mary's encounter, with a 14-year-old's encounter with Elizabeth. And John the Baptist recognized it. Dang. That's a Selah moment. And so she says, great favor is upon you, for you believed every word spoken to you from the Lord. It's so important that when we know it's from God, we believe it. So Mary launches into a song. It's a prophetic song. And Mary sang this song, my soul is ecstatic, overflowing with praises to God. My spirit bursts with joy over my life-giving God. For he set his tender gaze upon me, his lowly servant girl, and from here on, everyone will know that I have been favored and blessed. There's nothing wrong with God's favor and blessing resting on his sons and daughters. The mighty one has worked a mighty miracle for me. Holy is his name. Mercy kisses all his godly lovers from one generation to the next. Mighty power flows from him. To scatter all those who walk in pride. Powerful princesses he, he tears from their thrones and he lifts up the lowly to their, to their place. Those who hunger for him will always be filled. But the smug and the self-satisfied he will send away empty. Because he can never forget to show mercy. He has helped his chosen servant Israel. Keeping his promises to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And before going home, Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months. What does that mean? Well, it's an interesting line. That means she probably, Elizabeth probably, uh, John the Baptist probably came into the world. Because she was six months pregnant. And then when Mary, when Mary shows up, and then she's there for 12 weeks, first trimester, 12 weeks, and then she leaves, probably because Elizabeth had the baby. Probably. At least the timing is there. So let's just assume Elizabeth gives birth. Mary, at 12 months, though I have, I did some research, because I've never been, you know, did some, did some, yeah, 12 weeks, did some research. So, one thing I found out is there's a phrase for when you start showing. It's called the baby bump. <laughs> I always thought it was a dance or something, you know. Or, but it's actually, a, so I went to several websites, medical websites, and I was like looking at like, when do you start showing? Just simple Google search, right? And they said the baby bump is about 12 weeks, 12 to 14 weeks. And so, 12 to 14 weeks is, is when you begin showing. So now, you have this Let's just say she's 15 or whatever. Now she has to go back to her hometown showing. 
Now, there was a law that if you were betrothed and your, the, the woman gets pregnant, that, would, that could be considered adultery. And adultery was met with being stoned or killed. So here she is, impregnated by God. She's 15 years old. John is just born. And now she has to about face, and now she's going home. It's not a, a little, I mean, I'm not picturing it as a skip and a like, maybe so. Maybe she's happy in God. But how is she going to break the news to Joseph? I mean, how is he going to understand, hey, I'm pregnant, and I was, I'm pregnated by Yahweh. I'm pregnated by God. Joseph's like, I think, she, I think you've lost it. I don't believe you. No way were you impregnated by, no way. There, no way. He's convinced that she is not impregnated by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, because he wants to settle out with a divorce. Let's take a look at it. And this is how, uh, I'm in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus, God's anointed one, was born. His mother Mary was promised to Joseph to be his wife, but while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Her fiancé, Joseph, was a righteous man, full of integrity. Say amen. He's a righteous guy, and he's full of integrity. I mean, he's a good dude. There's a lot of righteous men in here because of Jesus, and you're full of integrity. And all the ladies said, wow, we've got to work that again. And all the ladies said, you might just have to declare it, you know. And he didn't want, this is how sensitive he was, and he didn't want to disgrace her. But when he learned of her pregnancy, he secretly planned to break off the engagement. So he hears about, I don't, I'm sure Mary told him, because I'm sure he didn't say, hey, you, you eat a little bit too much there when you're with Elizabeth, you know? Like, he might have started like that. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But it, it came forward where Mary just said, I'm, I'm pregnant. And, and I'm sure she told him how it happened. Like, maybe not. Maybe because he has this dream, Joseph has this dream, and it's actually the angel that tells him that she's been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. So because he's righteous, because he's filled with integrity, and because he has compassion... He's not going to take Mary and send her to the wolves and have her stoned. What he's going to do is he's privately, quietly going to divorce her when you have two witnesses, sign this thing off and let her do her thing and let me do my thing and maybe I'll find somebody else. And you've got to understand, their family connections, it's deep. This is not like you just met somebody and you dated for two years, and then you're getting... This is like family connection for years and years. They all know each other. 
And so while he was still debating with himself, verse 20, about what to do, he fell asleep and had a supernatural dream. The angel from the Lord appeared to him in clear light and said, Joseph, descendant of David, I think that's important, don't hesitate to take Mary into your home as your wife. When you take a woman into your, your bride into your home, that actually sealed the marriage. So don't take, take, don't hesitate to take Mary into your home as your wife because the power of the Holy Spirit has conceived a child in her womb. Say what? She will give birth to a son, and you are to, call, to name him Savior, Jesus, for he is destined to give his life to save his people from their sins. That's added information that Mary didn't get. Nice song. <laughs> this happens so that what the Lord spoke through his prophet would come true. Listen, a virgin will be pregnant. She will give birth to a son, and he will be known as Emmanuel, which means in Hebrew, God became one of us, or God is with us. Joseph's 16. Joseph is not 35. Joseph has not gone through, you know, he hasn't done life for 35 years. He's super young. Of course, there's room for variation, but I think, in essence, two teenagers brought the Savior into the world. Why would God choose? He chose Elizabeth. I mean, he chose a woman who was 60, whatever, 50, whatever, mature, like, understands. The, but he chooses a, a, a teenager to bring the Savior in. Can you imagine these conversations these kids are having? Can I use the word? With these kids are so when Joseph, verse 24, awoke from his dream, I love this, he did all that the angel of the Lord instructed him to do. He took Mary to be his wife. Like, that's the end of the movie. Like, yeah, you did it. You didn't. All right. He took Mary. You could just see it. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. He took Mary to be his wife, but they refrained from having sex until she gave birth to her son, whom they named Jesus. Kind of crazy, isn't it? 
You know, the season that we're in is not about Rudolph, <laughs> not about Santa Claus, you know, not about elves, not really about Christmas trees, not really. Not really how many lights you put on your house or if you put it on your house. But have you built this into your family? Have you made it the focus of the Christmas season? Grandparents, have you sat down with your grandkids, found some Bible that's colorful and animated, and open it up and say, let's talk about the Christmas story. Are we passing it on from one generation to another? Or do we just settle in on Santa Baby? I think we have to fight for, I was going to say kingdom traditions, but it's not that. We have to fight for keeping the event prime time. And we know how lost we could, I mean, our culture's not going to do it. They'll put Jesus right next to Star Wars and think nothing about it. But Jesus is not Baby Yoda. <laughs> and I follow the Mandalorian. I love it. But he's not, and I don't want Baby Yoda hurt. I just want to let you know, every single episode that comes on, I'm just like, Baby Yoda, be safe. You know? <laughs> they, I mean, they got me right now. Like, I know there's two more. There's one more. I think there's one more. I'm like, Jesus, do not, Okay. But Jesus is, maybe Yoda is not Jesus. And so we see in verse Luke chapter 2, let's just, during those days, the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus ordered that the first census be taken throughout his empire. Everyone had to travel to his or her hometown to complete the mandatory census. So Joseph and his fiancée, Mary, they left Nazareth, a village in Galilee, and they journeyed to the hometown of Judea, to the village of Bethlehem, King David's ancient home. It was about a one-week journey, about 10 days. She's taken this trip in her third trimester. Now, some people have her on a donkey. The Bible doesn't say she's on a donkey. But she's in her third trimester because when she actually gets to Bethlehem, she delivers. I don't know what it's like to be in your ninth month taking that kind of a journey. They didn't have five-star Marriott hotels. They didn't have a place you can go to. They might have had stops, but it was rugged terrain. It was unpleasant in a hundred million ways. And there she is, 15 years old. 
with a 16 or 17-year-old going to Bethlehem. I mean, just imagine with me for a moment, just, Joseph, I got to stop. I got I to sit down. I, I, can't, I can't go another step. She's carrying the Savior of the world. When they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor, and there she gave birth to her firstborn son. After wrapping the newborn baby in strips of cloth and laid him in a feeding trough, since there was no available space in the upper room of the village. So she has the baby, she has Jesus. We're running out, we've run out of time. But the first group that gets the announcement are shepherds. Shepherds, at least from my research, were considered thieves, dishonest, untrustworthy, and there was a rabbinic ban because they were also considered ceremonially unclean. The announcement of the army angels to these shepherds were to the social outcasts in the city. Isn't that something? That's a Selah moment. He doesn't appear to the elite. The angels don't come to the religious law abiding people like the Levites or the doesn't come to any of those. It comes to these lowly shepherds. And we have this picture of these shepherds and they're just like, you know, there's a, but they were actually outcasts. They were tossed out of the culture. And this is where the father chooses to give the announcement. Shepherds were not, in those days, shepherds were not considered, they were considered these untrustworthy thieves. That's why Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. One more point here. Let's talk about the wise men because I got to talk about this. Give me one more minute. Okay. Say cool. All right. Thank you. Matthew chapter 2, you can just note it. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem near Jerusalem during the reign of King Herod. King Herod was a crazy man. After Jesus' birth, a group of spiritual priests, because that's what they were, wise men. You never see three of them in Scripture. There could be three, but there was probably more than three. You don't see their names in Scripture. That came through tradition, right? So the spiritual priests show up. They come from the east. And they came to Jerusalem. They didn't go to Bethlehem. They went to Jerusalem. And they inquired of the people, where is the child who was born king of the Jewish people? Assuming that the chief priests knew that Jesus had been born. In other words, here they are. They follow the star. They go to Jerusalem, not to Bethlehem. And they say, hey, where is the king of the Jews, because we're here to worship him. Herod's like, what? What king? You know, you say something like that. 
I mean, royalty is bloody in a lot of ways. So there's not going to be any other king but Herod. And they say, where is the child who is to be born the king of the Jews? And we observed his star rising in the sky, and we've come to bow before him in worship. And King Herod was shaken to the core when he heard this. Not only him, but all of Jerusalem was disturbed when they heard the news. So he called a meeting of the Jewish ruling priests and the religious scholars, demanding that they tell him where the promised Messiah was, to be, was prophesied to be born. He will be born. Here's the religious priests that are actually in Jerusalem. They actually identify the place where Jesus is born. But they failed to go see him. He will be born in Jerusalem, at least the prophecy, in the land of Judah, they told him, because the prophecy states, and you, little Jerusalem, Bethlehem, will not, are not insignificant among the clans of Judah, for out of you will emerge a shepherd king of my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the spiritual priest, the Magi, from the east to ascertain the exact time the star first appeared. And he told them, and now go to Bethlehem and carefully look for this child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I can go, now, I can go and bow down and worship him. So they left. On their way to Bethlehem, suddenly the star showed up. It reappeared. They were amazed as it dropped over Bethlehem and they went ahead and checked it out. Bethlehem is a six-mile walk. That's a very short distance. So the king says, they understand it's Bethlehem. The king says, go ahead, go to Bethlehem, and I want you to go ahead and identify who this king is, that is Jesus, who is born king of the Jews, I want you to come back and let me know. You guys know the story. They take a different route out. But six miles out is kind of like from here to the New Park Mall in Fremont or Newark. Because I charted it out, about six miles. That's like, now we would get in our car and we'd be there in six minutes. But that's how close Jesus was to Jerusalem. The religious leaders failed to even make that pursuit to go see Jesus, who's in Bethlehem being born, king of the Jews, at least investigate it. At least. They don't. These three magi that come from the east, actually the lineage is going through Daniel, where Daniel probably prophesied 500 years ago that there would be one that would come, Daniel chapter 9, and they've been studying this for 500 years. And they make their way to Bethlehem, and they bring riches. Was, I think it was more than gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I understand gold is kingly. I understand frankincense is about righteousness and holiness. I understand myrrh is about his death and his burial. I understand the prophetic part of it. But they brought enough wealth to take care of them because they had to, they had to flee and go to Egypt. So now we have a massacre on our hands. All because of this one. The one that lives in you. And the one that lives in me. And it seems like with Jesus, though he's perfect in his love, perfect in his affection, 
perfect in coming after us, there's a sword somewhere. And here comes Herod. Kill every child two years and under. So he has another dream. Joseph. The Lord says, get out of Bethlehem and go to Egypt. No hesitation. Joseph, 16, 17 years old, you know, like you got to understand. He says, we're going to Egypt. Let's grab Jesus and let's go to Egypt. He had to be at least under the two years old. And now we know the Magi don't show up when Jesus was born because they went to the house. So the Magi could have showed up months later. But God is so good that God gives them the resources to go to Egypt for two to three years and absolutely completely fund it. And then when Herod passed, which is about 4 B.C., the Lord says, you can come back now. But Herod's son's on the throne, so they don't go to Bethlehem. They actually go to Galilee and Nazareth. That's where he's raised. What a story, huh? You can almost make a movie out of it. And there have been some. I think one of them is called the Nativity. That's the most recent one. Watch that every year, would you? You can still watch Frosty the Snowman. You can watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with Burl Ives. I'm not opposed to that. But we better make sure Jesus is central. I, I was grafted into the ministry family. And Earl, when his dad has been, was in ministry over 50 years. They had Santa Claus figurines during Christmas, but Jesus was always central. Every single year, we bring our kids around and we read the Christmas story. That's part of our tradition. We ask questions about the Christmas story. I know they want to open up their gifts. Do you know what I'm talking about? They want to open up their gifts. You have their attention for like two seconds. You know, all you can do is maybe give a little bit of something like, but if, I, if we're not intentional in building that in, we'll lose a generation. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself and he came as a man to identify with us and to give his life. If the church, if the ecclesia of God is not going to keep Jesus central, I don't know who is. We must. We must. We must. I don't know, maybe next year we need to throw a bunch of nativity stuff on our lawn somewhere. Sometimes people feel like they're going to be vandalized if they do. That's all right. Well, let's stand. I'm, I'm late. And
Jordan's been playing that keyboard for a while. So it's just, it, today's an exhortation. It's just an exhortation. It's like, I just want to communicate my heart to say, When someone says happy holidays, I always say Merry Christmas. I don't care. I know what they have to say, but I know what I can say. Be life and light. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. So, Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you, Jesus, that you said yes and you came. We thank you, Lord, that your coming literally changed history. And so, Lord, as your sons and daughters, people who love the Lord, I just pray for a couple things. One, that we would speak often about who Jesus is, especially during the Christmas season. That we don't get caught up in all the stuff that's supposed to happen and the ways that our culture drives us. God, I pray that you would give us a, a clear, just clarity on what this is all about. Just be reminded again what this is all about, how the Christmas story was a real event that changed history. That these were really, these were real people. These were real teenagers, like this is real. And they had to deal with all the insecurities. They had to deal with the shame. They had to deal with all these things. But you guided them and you directed them. And now here we stand. So we just want to say thank you, Jesus. Can you go ahead and just say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming. Thank you for saving me. Thank you again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our channel. God bless.